We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. This podcast that you're about to listen to is a patron teaser podcast. Myself and Norman Riley would do this state of play podcast at least once per month about everything that's going on in Newcastle United. If you enjoy what you hear today, come and join us on Patreon 660 a month. It keeps this podcast free of charge and you get 30 to 40 extra of these every single month about Newcastle United. Hope you enjoy the show. It's the state of play podcast from True Faith. Alex Hurst and Norman Riley. Here to talk to you about what's been going on at Newcastle United and maybe explore a little bit about why it's been happening and what might happen next. Norman, we're having this chat. It is the international break. Newcastle have lost their last two games. And one of the things I'm really keen to get your thoughts on, do those two defeats um, tell you anything at all about the limit or the ceiling of this team? And I'll, I'll, I'll expand on the question a little bit. Newcastle currently reside in our 14th place, I believe. Um, there's some discussion with players to come back that Newcastle could be in the mix for a top 10. Teams like Brighton have come back into view. Teams like Southampton were recently beat. There's some discussion of a run into the top 10. We'll have five of our last eight fixtures at home. Do these two defeats kind of suggest that actually Howe's done a brilliant job just to get to clear the relegation zone and anything above that was always going to be a massive bonus? This team are probably a bottom six side. What are your thoughts, mate? The bottom six side, I think that's probably a bit harsh. I think there are side who can finish anywhere between 10th and 17th. So not necessarily a bottom six in that sense, right? I, I think you have to, I think I would discount them as a bottom three side. That's that's for sure. Um, and you have to look at the, the teams that are really in between those positions, right? I mean, look, look, Leicester, given their kind of recent upturn and form, are probably going to finish 10th place, right? They're probably going to finish top 10. So you can see that the, the top 10 is almost signed, sealed and delivered, right? Um, but ultimately, I think we're certainly in that, that group between 11th and 17th. So what's that? That's, that's seven teams. And I think that those sides are more or less interchangeable. Um, and I think that the position we're in at the moment, 14th, if we finish in that position, that, that, would, be, that would be reflective of the, the, the ability of the squad. If we, finished, if we finished 11th, that would be equally reflective. If we finished 17th, that would be equally reflective. I think finishing anywhere above that inside the top 10 probably is something that it, it could almost be a false economy because I think, you know, we finished in the top 10 of the squad as it is at the moment. And you think, well, maybe maybe it just needs a couple of, you know, a couple of kind of cosmetic changes pre-season because we've got the we've got the fundamentals of a of a very competitive squad. Yeah, I, I don't think that. I think finishing in the top 10 would be a case of, you know, you look at last season under Bruce when we went on that unbeaten run towards the end of the season that lifted up to 12th place or whatever it was. That was more 
based on, I think, a lot of the teams that we played not having anything to play for. So we got a bit of a rub of the green. And I think if we finished top 10 this season, bearing in mind where we're on the table now, bearing in mind the, the teams above us, it would be more of an indication of of where the teams were playing are at. Like they don't have anything, they literally don't have anything to play for. So we're picking up points that, you know, maybe if these teams would play them two months earlier or in September, that they may well have beat us. So I think, yeah, we're not a, we're not a bottom six squad, but we're certainly in my, my mind, not by any stretch of the imagination, a top 10 squad. So these last two defeats, if you want me to move on to them, the last two defeats, um, look, the Everton game, absolutely devastating, but that's because Everton are basically... Losing to Everton is how I imagine a lot of new, a lot of other teams' fans felt when Newcastle under Steve Bruce beat them. You're losing to an utterly clueless, shocking team who seems to get a disproportionate amount of luck for a match. That that's basically what what Everton got. Look, you could argue the sending off was unlucky. It wasn't. It was a clear sending off. But that game itself, we could well have been two up at half time. I thought actually we could have had four goals and. Chelsea, we were losing. We're losing in the last minute to a team that has won the Champions League and is the World Club champions. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no real panic there in my mind about about that. And, and, and again, further context: losing two consecutive games in the Premier League when you're a side that's spent most of the season in the bottom five isn't. It, it's not hugely, you know, hugely devastating. It's not a huge surprise we lost both. We lost two games off the spin. Um, just I think the Everton game is the one that's really put people's noses out of joint just because Everton are a terrible, terrible side. And I think ultimately, just finishing off, what both games have shown me is that we are so incredibly desperate for a centre forward. I don't want to criticise Chris Wood, so I'm not going to. I think he's been brought into a specific job. And then during that unbeaten run, he's done that job well. However, certain games, that clinical centre forward, that mobile centre forward is necessary. Everton on Thursday night of last week, if, if fully fit Callum Wilson had been our side in that game, I think we would have won that game. If we'd had a better centre forward than Chris Wood in, that, in the team, I think we won that game. So it's just highlighted where the weaknesses are and it's not a, it's not a massive shock in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think, you know, the, the fact that the defeats came quite close together, the fact that they were both live on television so everyone can watch them in the in the UK anyway, um, has, has probably led to a little bit more disappointments. I, I just think that, you know, those those sides above us, and, you know, there's lots of people listening to this and I, and I get it who, who think, don't care how we finish. We just had to stay up. So this isn't me or Norman or anyone at True Faith. I don't think saying, "Oh, we should finish here. We should finish here." I agree that finishing seventeenth, if Newcastle finish seventeenth this season, it will still be seen as a, as a positive season. Don't want to finish seventeenth. I want to finish as high as possible. You want to get as much Premier League prize money in as possible. You want to go into next season in as positive a mindset as possible. Um, you know, having said that, you know Newcastle above them in the league. They've got Brighton, uh, who were beat. And I'm going to come on to the performances a little bit more later. But then we've got Palace, who will play soon. Um, but Palace have won the same amount of games this season as Newcastle have. Um, you've got Southampton, who took four points off this season and were beat fairly comfortably at their place down there. And, and like you say, Leicester may are uh, you know probably two games in hand as well, uh, picking up some form. They, they are probably out of reach. You've got Villa and Wolves. You know the next game against Villa will be really interesting to me. Villa aren't going to have. Jimenez up front, there's a chance Nevers will be injured just to try and even out some of the injury stakes that we suffer each game without our best players. So, and then in, in seventh place, West Ham, who Newcastle, you know, West Ham, I think, have won possibly every home game since Newcastle went there. Um, and and were probably the better side in the 1 1 draw. So, I'm, I'm interested anyway, and that's why I thought it was worth having this con- conversation about just what the ceiling of this side is. Craig Hope said on the pod recently, with Sian Emil, the, the the performance at Chelsea was almost the victory because 
you know, how many times have you seen Newcastle, you know, for example, go to Spurs away last season, be a disgrace and get a point? Well, actually, you know, what would you rather be? Would you rather be capable of winning the game? Newcastle should have won the game at Chelsea because of the refereeing decisions. Um, so, you know, the, the Everton game, like you said, was frustrating. I think I think the Everton game, it's you, you get you get games where you deserve to win and you don't. And like you said, many, many teams have come up against Newcastle and Steve Bruce and had that feeling. Under Bruce, very rarely did we, did we not get what we deserve, if that makes sense. Like if we played remotely well, would would get a would get a would get a point <laughs> or would win, um, which people would call luck. I think I think the Everton game um, reminded me, mate. I don't know if you what your views are on this, and, and maybe we could develop the conversation into like in the leadership and also know how in the team and and then to bring it back to where I think the team possibly are. The our lads, I don't think, have just been in the kind of position where they are expected to dominate a game in its entirety. Now you could look back at Brentford and we so that's that would be a caveat because we did we did do that at Brentford, probably didn't dominate the second half and how was a little bit critical about our performance second half and not going on to kill the game. But I bring the Everton game back and I think at Everton at at nil nil, ten V eleven, and I kind of think of that Watford game at home mm. when Newcastle are one nil up against a team that had lost nine of the last ten with a manager who was about to be sacked. And Everything was laid out for Newcastle to go dominate the game and put it to bed. And we discussed in the podcast after that about how there was almost just because because of the history of a lot of these players in this team, they just haven't been in this position very often where they're it's expected. And if you look at Newcastle's position at, at nil nil there, ten v eleven, uh, Saint Maximin comes on, and, and just like against Chelsea, and that there is a pod coming on Patreon this week about ASM in particular. I don't think Newcastle's game plan from the players on the pitch changed whatsoever. Ten v eleven. That 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 can only come from experience and leadership. And I've heard it said before. I don't know if it was on one of our pods or on social media. If Kieran Trippier plays in that game, Newcastle probably win. Not even through anything that he does, although he is a very good player and much better than Emil Kraft. But just from like him playing, having played for Atletico Madrid, probably been in that situation loads of times, having played for Spurs, having played for England in those situations, it's like we have to change what we're doing. Now, just like when we went 1-0 up against Watford in that home game, we now have to change what we do to put pressure on the opposition because it's it's now the opposition who are under pressure and we just seemed, yeah, whether it's inexperience, whether it's lack of kind of game management, whether it's both, I don't know, mate. What 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 do you make of that? And I suppose I think I think that's probably forget about the result for a second. That's probably the thing that will concern how the most alongside the second half performance is that a couple of occasions Brentford aside when we've been given clear opportunities to turn the screw an opponent, we just don't seem to be able to do it. That's a very interesting point because obviously this is a squad of players, and look, I know there are people who've joined over the course of, an, of a number of years, but a lot of them have been there for, what, four years, maybe? Four years? You know, you look at look at that team the other night, you've got Dubravka in there, Fabian Shea, I know Shelby wasn't playing, but he's part of the squad. Um, ASM, I think, is on his, what, he's on his third season with the club. Yeah. And, you know, th- this is a squad who who are basically a backs-to-the-wall squad, right? That's what they've been. You know, the, the only time that John Joe Shelby, in his whole, was it seven seasons at Newcastle United now, I think? The only time he's been in a position of starting a game and the overwhelming amount of games in a team that's favourite to win was in the championship. Yeah. Every single season outside of that, he has been in a side that has been battling relegation and has gone into the bulk of games that it's played as the underdog, right? As the team that's expected to seed possession, as the team that's expected to soak up pressure and, and get, you know, 
get a counter a counter attack and maybe pick up the odds the odd good result which is which is kind of the pattern right that's kind of what's happened so that's an interesting point because obviously we go to Everton and the rules are reversed right Everton are basically Newcastle United under Steve McLaren Everton are basically Newcastle United under Steve Bruce Newcastle United under John Cover Newcastle United like ad infinitum under Mike Ashley apart from one season more or less um so we go there and I think as well as fans we fully expected to win it there's a, there's, it's a rare, rare occurrence as a Newcastle fan over the last, what, you could, other than the championship season, as I say, the last 10, 11 seasons, where I've been that convinced we're going to win a game. I've gone into games thinking we're going to win, we're going to win, but it's always kind of balanced with a, but you know, it's Newcastle, maybe, we're not that brilliant of a side. This game, I fully expected us to win. This for me was an absolute banker, and that, as you say, just goes to show that, no, no, these players do do have a, 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 I suppose, a collective mindset that is used to being the, the underdog. So it's that kind of transition that is going to take time. And I think that only comes, as you see, with experience, i.e. Trippier. Um, again, I'm convinced that Callum Wilson starts that game, yeah. we win. But, I, but you know, I, I think Callum Wilson's on, it and on the kind of next level with his, with his confidence and experience. I think he's the kind of player who goes on the pitch and thinks, I'm going to win every game because I'm that good, right? Um, but I think it, this squad, as good as it is, you do look at it and think, well, actually, we need to bring we need to bring winners in. That sounds horrible. I'm not saying that these players are losers by any stretch of imagination, but I'm talking about players who are coming in whose mindset is we go out in every game and I, I go out in every game and I fully expect to win. I'm I'm going to see Bruno's probably that like that playing at Leon, playing for the Brazilian national side. But a lot of those players were brought in to do a specific job at Newcastle, and that job was to to survive. So that mindset is we go on the pitch, we will get a result, we will survive. We need. I, I think it's clear we need to bring in two or three, two or three. You know, as I say, absolute winners. I, I totally agree. And and while losers might be an unfair word, we have said before, I've said before at least uh, that we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When, when when the reason for existence is staying up year after year after year, there is going to be a drop-off. Now, there might not have been a drop-off because the Chelsea performance didn't suggest a drop-off. The Everton 
performance, there was a drop off. The first half, Newcastle were, were good. We played some nice stuff. Actually, watching the highlights back, they get into some better positions than I realised, and it's just the end product and, and some bad luck and some good luck for Everton. Um, stop Newcastle taking the lead and winning the game. But it, that's why the rest of the season so interesting because there is a sense of, particularly with the way that the club want to go with with owners of the club talking about Premier League titles and Champions League football in years to come. I think it'll be really handy for how to see who's who, who's up for the challenge of trying to get as many points as possible because I I think Newcastle can beat anyone at home. Five home game games against I think the lowest placed team is tenth, uh, Leicester. Or Palace, sorry, so Palace as well. I forgot about them because they were moving. Then away games at, at Norwich, Spurs, and Burnley. So two of those, two of those away games, Man City as well. Sorry, but uh, two of those away games, and Palace at home, and Leicester at home, and Wolves at home. You know, Newcastle win any of those fixtures, all of those fixtures. I don't think anyone's surprised. Um, Arsenal and, and Liverpool are probably a different conversation, and Spurs and City are a different conversation. So I think Howe's going to learn a lot, and and one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up about about the Everton performance and the mentality of it, and the fact that. On the pitch, you know, I thought Newcastle should have squeezed higher up the pitch. I thought Everton at no point 10 v 11 were kind of penned into their own box. Newcastle should have got an, another couple of players in the penalty area. Um, you know, it, it's a tough one and it's, it's you know, it's it's not for the day, but there is probably a conversation about Newcastle's midfield three to be had for the next fixture, mm-hmm. assuming John Joe Shelby comes back. You know, you guys talked about it on the free podcast that you did after the game. I've been saying it for years. You miss John Joe when he's not there. You don't realize how good he is until he's until he's not there, and he hasn't been great the whole time he's been here. But he's always been better, pretty much apart from maybe Modi Arme and Kaysun Young for a bit. Um, Shelby's always been better than what's replaced him, even if he hasn't been good himself. Uh, so that was interesting for the last couple of fixtures that we've really really missed him. And to bringing it back to the teams above, um, get your thoughts on this, mate. So Newcastle beat Brighton. Uh, Newcastle beat Southampton and Eddie Howe, after both of those fixtures, um, was very pleased with the results, crucial results, to give us this nine-point gap to the relegation zone that we've got now, but was kind of critical of his side, particularly in the second half, not controlling the game, kind of going back to having 30-odd percent possession. And when, when you're ahead in the match, it doesn't need to be like that against those sides. What do you like? What do you think? I've, I've put, it, put it this way. Are we better than Brighton or Southampton, or did we just do what we had to do? Did we just manage to do what we had to do on the day against them to get the results? I mean, you were at the Southampton game. Don't think about the Brighton game, but I'm just I'm trying. I'm asking this question because I'm trying to kind of realise where this side are right now and where they want to be at the start of next season. My view, mate, is that Eddie Howe looks at those performances and he's a bit worried, and it's kind of those that those worries have spilled into the performance against Everton. That at the minute, for whatever reason, we're unable to control games. What do you think, mate, with those results in particular? Great question. Do I think we're better than Brighton or Southampton? I think we're Southampton. I don't think there's much difference between the two squads. I think what you might have at Southampton is um, a, a very settled squad in ethos because Hassan Huttle's been there for a long time. He's got a very distinct way of playing. Those players know how to play. He brings through young players. They've also got they've got like a, a kind of fulcrum. James Ward Prowse, right? It's you know he is he is the fulcrum in that side, and, and kind of almost everything goes through him. And we haven't had that at Newcastle. We've got some very talented individuals. Maximin injury prone plays out in the wing. Um, Callum Wilson brilliant injury prone. John Joe Shelby you mentioned there is a, is a very good player. We miss him when he's gone, but he's not he's not in the same league as, as James Ward Prowse in my opinion, right? So they, 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 for a, for a start they've got that fulcrum, and then you look at the forwards and you think well actually we've got Callum Wilson and Chris Wood. 
Now, Callum Wilson out of, you know, uh, him, Wood, Adams and Broha, probably the best player, right? Broha, you could argue, may have gone and have a better career than, than Callum Wilson because he, he looks fantastic. Ultimately, though, would Chi Adams or Broha get in ahead of Chris Wood in your team? I believe that they would, right? I, I do believe that. So, but then again, we, we've got players in other positions who are, who are better than theirs, right? I think, you know, I think someone like Joe Linton, you could argue, has, would be equally as effective, if not more than Romeo, etc. Um, so I think that there isn't that much difference other than the fact that you've got that full room and pros and they've got a very settled style of player and they've got a manager who's been there for years. Brighton, on the other hand, I think Brighton have got better players and arguably, arguably, right now, they've got a better manager and Graham Potter. That's not me disparaging how by any stretch of the imagination. However, how in his last season in the Premier League prior to Newcastle did get relegated with Bournemouth, a very tough job. He kept me up for five seasons, which is a miracle in itself. But he had 18 months out of the game. Potter's been in the Premier League for four years. Um, so how's kind of, I suppose, at the minute, rediscovering, his, rediscovering himself as a Premier League manager in many respects, right? Um, whereas Potter's been there for a, a bit longer. And right now, I, right now, I think you could, you could make the argument that Potter's maybe a better manager. I think he'll may well usurp him. In fact, I do think he'll usurp him. But right now, as I say, you've got that. You've also got Brighton again, an identity, again, an established three or four seasons of playing the same way, a settled squad. And, and also in the team, they've got those fulcrums, right? They've got Lewis Dunk at the back. They've got uh, Basuma in midfield. They've got some exciting young, youngsters coming through. So I think right now Brighton are better. Um, and I think overall our squad's better. But there's not that much of a difference, right? There's not much of a difference. Um, so I think with Newcastle, it's really just a case of we're getting those couple of players in that are going to be solid in the team for years and getting that identity. You think about it like this, mate. We had absolute litany of terrible managers prior to Rafa. Rafa comes in and it's basically just firefighting from day one, right? It's firefighting from day one. It's minimal possession. It's getting results that we can. And then Steve Bruce comes in and Steve Bruce, you know, Frank Lambard made um, five uh, five formation changes in the game against Crystal Palace on Sunday. They got to be 4-0. That's exactly the kind of thing that Bruce does. It's just throw it at it. Well, I've done everything I can. I've done everything I can. It's the players now. Um, we've had that for years. So how has had four months or five months to not only try and implant some sort of identity, we're seeing it with the 4-3-3, but also to get the players out of the mindset of just having absolute confusion and nothing other than survival on their minds for, for years and years. So, yeah, that, that's a, a long-winded answer, mate. But ultimately, I don't think I don't think Southampton and Brighton are that much better. They're just more settled and they've got a little bit more of an identity than we have right now. Great answer. I can't I can't really disagree with any of that, so I won't. Um, I think the reason I ask is I'm just trying to, yeah, again, trying to work out both where we are now and, and, and looking ahead to next season, because I do think that we're safe, um, where we'll be and who we'll be competing with. And, and it's a surprise for me to see, you know, Villa as high as ninth because we beat Villa at home. But then, you know, against Villa, we had one shot, <laughs> which went in, which was great. Against Brighton, we kind of had two chances and we scored them both against Southampton kind of had two chances and scored and we've been very very clinical now in those games I'm not trying to belittle what we've done because we defended superbly and also Martin Dubravka against Brighton hasn't really had to make a save Martin Dubravka against Villa hasn't really had to make a save uh against Southampton he has to make saves right at the death like before that is all game he's not had to make right. a save and then literally in the injury time he's had to make two saves so it just shows that the defensive solidity that Newcastle have now got is probably um, well, indefinitely, the result, the, the reason for this massive upturn in form and, and collection of points, and that there's still a lot of work to be done as an attacking team, a, a team that controls possession and can actually manage games. You know, I think Newcastle can manage games quite well. I thought they managed the Everton game at home <laughs> really well. They managed game, uh, the Burnley game at home very well. They were managing the Watford game quite well until that all went apart. 
So th- th- there's definitely something there. And, and I don't think you hear someone like Eddie Howe consistently make reference to this being a problem unless he believes it. it's a massive problem. Mm. It's a form of communication to the players as well publicly uh, and also to the supporters that, yeah, this is great, but it's not quite what it's supposed to be. And I love that because how many podcasts did we used to do after Steve Bruce performances, even if we're drawn or won, when you're like, what was that supposed to look like? Because they've had 20 shots, they've hit the post three times, Martin Dubravka's pulled off nine saves, and we've got a 1-1 draw through mm. a penalty in the last minute. What was the plan going into that game, and how has it failed? Whereas how was actually communicating? We had a plan for the game. Yes, we've won, but it still didn't go to plan, and it's still mm-hmm. supposed to be much better than that. And I suppose that fits in with the ESOS of the club. You're right to bring in the Bournemouth you know, relegation because perhaps Bournemouth fans would be saying, well, what's our plan in that season? And, you know, how, how was Bournemouth were known for a long time as a counter-attacking side? Um, and then he tried to make them into a more possession-based side and it went very badly. So that that might not be on him, might not have the players, the conditions, all that kind of stuff. But it is interesting to me that those sides in particular, you know, Villa... Southampton and Brighton were able to dominate us in midfield and dominate possession as much as they did when we're clearly trying to not do that. And then Everton, on the on the other side, where we were clear, we we just didn't do it. We just you know we, we let Everton back in the game, and, and you're completely correct in your analysis that Ever, Everton just kind of just just turned up. That's it. They didn't they didn't do anything in particular. They, they, they didn't target any parts of our pitch. They didn't they didn't exploit any weaknesses. They just they just turned up and stayed in the game and got that one moment through a turnover in midfield and, and there was a bit of space, a bit of bad defending and, and, and you've won a game 1-0 and they might stay in the Premier League as a result of that. Um, let's move on though, mate. Uh, the next thing that I wanted to talk about um, is, is the midfield three, actually. I said it was for another podcast. I can see it. It's in my notes now actually to talk about today. Um, your midfield three, assuming everyone is fit for Southampton, uh, for Wolves, mate. Man, this is like a really tough decision because you're looking at four first-choice midfielders, really, and you can only select three of them, right? Now, out of those four midfielders, I don't think any of them, any of the other three, offer what Joe Willock does, right? And Willock gets a lot of criticism when he, to a certain extent, disappears in games. I don't think that's down to him disappearing. I just think it's down to the fact that he's not getting the balls put in the spaces where he makes these runs, right? I just, I think that's what it is. None of the midfielders have the pace of Willock nor the ability to score. If you look at Shelby's, Guimaraes and Joe Linton scoring records, I mean, Joe Linton was a forward, he's become a midfielder, but he's not a goal-scoring midfielder, right? Um, it's, it's nothing like Willock. So Willock, even at Arsenal, averaged a decent amount of goals in the games he started. You know, he got into double figures for them in, in less than 70 appearances, I think. So this is a kid who knows where the back of the net is. He knows how to uh, time his runs in the box. And he can finish. We knew he can finish. Um, none of the midfielders do that. So as far as I'm concerned, he is vital in that side, regardless of what people may have thrown in terms of arguments about him disappearing in games, as I say. Shelby, I think we've already established, is vital to the side, right? He keeps with ticking over. He's the person who receives the ball deep, spread passes, make himself available. And, you know, ultimately, he can... His movement from the edge of our box to more or less sort of 30 yards out from there, uh, the sort of 30-yard area, is vital. He's vital. He turns. He just turns the ball over. He turns the ball over. Turns the ball over. Turns the ball over. And makes himself av- and makes himself available. So the big decision ultimately is Guimaraes and Julian, isn't it? That's your decision. Now, watching them at Everton together, I thought that Guimaraes was fantastic. Right? I thought there was a lot that he did. I thought that this kid just is just a naturally gifted footballer. I think what happened 
though, was that it was almost like Joe Linton's role in the team was negated because Guimaraes was basically doing what Joe Linton would normally do. You know, he, he was making himself available in, in our half. He was kind of putting blocks in. He was closing down space. And I think the two of them together, oh, God, mate, it's such a tough one. It's controversial to say you want to drop either one of them, right? That's the thing. So, can I be brutally honest with you right now? I wouldn't care w- which one it was, if Joe Linton or Guimaraes. Like I do, like I think, I think there's an argument that depends on the opponent. You might think, well, actually, Joe Linton gives us a bit more physicality than Guimaraes. Or that against another opponent, Guimaraes gives us a bit more in terms of offensive capacity. So right now, mate, I would have to say Willick and Shelby are showing in Guimaraes and Joe Linton. I'm going to leave that one to you because I just, I just can't. Right? Um, and, and the thing is, as well, Joe Linton's been absolutely sensational. You know that he has. He's been absolutely sensational. But, but can Guimaraes do what Joe Linton does and offer us more? That's the question I think you have to ask right now because, as I say, I think Shelby and Willock are pretty much unique and therefore irreplaceable. Yeah, very interesting. Um, you know, I don't know what listeners are thinking and, I, and it's each to their own, of course, because I think this is just me trying to guess the kind of overall perception of a fan base and, you know, how arrogant to do that. I think you can second guess what other people are thinking. And also a fan base is kind of diverse and geographically spread as ours with a range of opinions. I think a lot of people assume Willock's the one to come out. Um, and, and that's probably because if he's not scoring, he kind of has that, even though he's playing in a three-man midfield, and I think it's fair to say he does have more license to get forward than the other two. But even so, there aren't many midfielders who are like, oh, your central midfielder didn't score, that's no good. But he is kind of judged like that a little bit. And I think like you said, people, you're right, people say that he goes missing. They're probably, especially if, if you're watched on TV, sometimes, could be wrong, but sometimes probably underappreciate how much work he does off the ball. Um, because he's just, he's just, uh, you know, his fitness is absolutely insane and he, he gets around the pitch, um, brilliantly. You've just put in the, in the notes there, you know, it leads, he didn't score, should have scored, but he didn't score, but he was, he was absolutely brilliant second half in particular. And when Willock, this, just to throw a curveball in, but there's no way that he's part of the conversation. I accept that when Willock and Longstaff played against Leeds together in that game, Leeds had nowhere to go midfield. They kept having to go backwards and sideways because they were just at them. Um, straight away, and Shelby had a, a very, very good game using the ball and scoring the goal that day. So that that we haven't seen that midfield since, and I don't think we will see it again because of the other two players in the conversation. But I think a lot of people assume that it's Willock who drops out. I agree with you though that I'm much more confident that as as long as Willock's playing well to his ability and his potential, I'm more confident Newcastle are going to score in that game with him there. Now Joe Linton's an interesting one uh, with Guimaraes because I don't think Joe Linton was anywhere near match fit. Hi. For Everton, he'd missed the previous couple of games. I understand why how played him because there's a two, well, nearly a three week gap until the next fixture. Um, I think Longstaff should have started ahead of Joe Linton that, I that game. I just, I think it's something that he got wrong. I think he should have started Mankio as well. But you know, Eddie Howe gets most things right and knows much more about everything than me. But I do think he got that one wrong. I what it it, it the thing for me, mate, is assuming all goes well. Okay, let's just say we beat Wolves. Um, which will be a fantastic Friday night. Let's just say we'll beat Wolves at St. James's, and that moves us on to, as I get the uh, the Premier League table... 34 points. That moves us on to 34 points with um, seven to play. It's just... Uh, 34 points is probably enough to keep you up already. Um, 
I kind of feel you have to you have to the hard work the team have done you have to use that to your advantage and have a look have a look at everyone you know it's going to be a massive summer for Newcastle United expectation next season particularly if there's more seismic transfer activity expectations is whatever the owners say or the manager says or anything you know you you've done po- you did a podcast with Mick Martin for patrons and Mark Corby about previous beginnings and the excitement and the anticipation that builds Newcastle United next season would will be expected for a tilt at that top eight in a cup. That would be the expectation, in my opinion. So, Bruno Gamares, you're kind of going to have to play him, even mm-hmm. if it's not the best solution. He needs to start next season with 10 Premier League starts under his belt, rather than him starting next season with four or five, because because the three who've done so well, and that's Willock, Shelby, Joe Linton, even if that is the best three for the current situation, I kind of, even as a fan, just think, you probably you have to have half an iron next season, and I think how does have half an iron next season because oh, of the yeah. things we're talking about with them talking about controlling games, losing possession, losing the midfield. Most managers in his position, and he knows that seventeen is, a, is a, I wouldn't call it a miracle, but it's a huge achievement. It's an achievement that people thought that he wasn't capable of just two months ago. So he could be he could be stood there at full time saying, "Brilliant lads, have done so well. I'm so proud. Fantastic. Couldn't ask for any more than them." But he hasn't. He stood there and said, "Disappointed." with the way that we've done this, this, and this in the second half. So I just feel like I just want to have a look. And Hoy, if, if Sean Longstaff's going to be given a new contract, hoy him in there. Let, let's have a look. You know, he, he, he's played against Man United and he's played against Leeds. He came on, what, 20 minutes against Leeds for Joe Linton. And he was brilliant in both of those fixtures. And that, you know what, I think that that's from me. I think that's competition for places. Mm-hmm. I think that's genuine competition for places. So even if you're Joe Willock or even if you're John Joe Shelby, if you don't perform, you've got one of these lads breathing down your neck. And if the team is winning and you're performing, you're not going to get dropped. And that's maybe why we saw Joe Linton, John Joe and Willock perform at the levels that they've been performing at. But I, but I do believe Grimaris has to start. And I, I, I kind of just want, I want how to have a look because you could argue, and again, we'll have to see where we're going um, in the summer with who, what positions they want to strengthen. But you could argue that they're possibly looking for another central midfielder. They might not, but if they are, um, then I feel that you know I feel like you've got to have a look at everyone over at you. You're absolutely spot on. The way I think of it is the midfield three of Willock, Shelby, and Joe Linton, as good as it has been this season uh, post Christmas, been fantastic. Like, been fantastic the three. There's no two ways about it, right? Um, is that trio the trio that How is envisaging for next season? Is that what he's? Is he thinking? Are him and Jason Tindall sat there thinking, right? Well, midfield's done. We're sorted for next season. No bother. We've just got to focus on getting maybe a centre-half and getting a new centre-forward in and getting possibly a, a new winger. Like, is that what they're thinking? Because I don't think they are. I think Bruno Guimaraes, is, uh, Guimaraes has been brought in to start, right? He's been brought in to be a part of a team challenging for the top eight next season. Therefore, you expect him to come in, as you say, next season, right? Is he looking at Shelby and Willock and Joe Linton and thinking, well, like it's two from these three now. Bruno's in, it's two from these. I don't think he is. I think, like you, he's probably thinking we're going to bring another centre midfielder in. Therefore, you could argue that maybe out of the three that are, have been so good this season, only one of them is actually going to make it into the side next season. So, yes, I totally agree. If we are safe on 34 points after we beat Wolves, which of course we will, um, mm-hmm. then why not just give Bruno a six game run? Because ultimately, if he's going to be starting in the midfield next season, doesn't really matter who you drop because one of them is probably going to get, one of them, if not two of them, are likely to be either you know sold or kept on as squad players next season. Um, and I'd probably say, as good as he's been for it, it might be, it may well be Shelby who gets moved on just because he's been at the club for a long time. 
and he's been at the club for a long time while it's been quite poor. So you ask yourself, as good as John Joe Shelby has been for Newcastle, is a 30-year-old John, Shel- John Joe Shelby a player who is going to be starting in the first 11 regularly for a side that's supposedly pushing at the top eight? I don't know. I, I, you know. I think Shelby's a very, very good player. I think he's probably wasted a lot of his potential by staying at Newcastle United for as long as he has, but ultimately he may well be the one that shifted on. So in, so in that case, what's your argument? Do we just think, well, we're stayed up now, let's make it feel look more like what it's going to look like next season and, and give it a trial? Yeah, spot on. And I, I'm, I'm really pleased you said that about Shelby because one of the things that I like about how, and all good managers are like this, but one of the things I love about how is how ruthless he is. So how comes to Newcastle and everyone's like, oh, Matt Ritchie, the reunion. You had a look. You had a look at Matt Ritchie at left back. Didn't even try him further at the pitch and just thought, not for us. You know, not for us. Um, Jamal Sells has come in and improved under how, And uh, he, can't, he can't get in the team. And he's club captain. Um, yeah, Isaac Hayden is training now. So, you know, yes, he was injured in terms of the 25-man squad and all that kind of stuff. But he would have he had, you know, April and May kind of eight fixtures left to play. And he's thought, no, thank you. Jamal Lewis is another one. I thought Jamal Lewis did brilliantly under Howe. And, and, and he's thought, now ah, we're going to get Matt Target, thanks very much. And Mankio can cover if we need him, need him to on that side. Plus, we've got Paul Dummett. So I, I do think John Joe's at risk. Howe came in and put a lot of capital into John Joe Shelby from day one, mentioned my name. Very smart thing to do. Realised that to get this team playing football and scoring goals, they needed John Joe Shelby. But there are upgrades out there to John Joe Shelby. And the other thing to mention about this discussion about the midfield three, formation. There's, you know, Howe is not um, married to 4-3-3 throughout his career. He's, he's, he's played 4-4-2. He's played 4-4-1-1, 4-2-3-1. He's played five at the back. Five two three. So, you know, there isn't necessarily anything there to say that it's definitely going to be three from three next season. I think, again, it's 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 early to call it. I think, I think he does like the formation and it seems to fit the players that we're having the squad. I think as well, just to give a shout for Joe Linton and Willock um, and John Joe, maybe being the one to miss out is this midfield relies on the kind of ability to cover lots of ground. A Willock and Joe Linton just do do that for fun. They're almost perfect for what Howe wants in terms of being able to cover the ground. Sean Longstaff does that as well very well. So you kind of... I agree with you. I, I agree with you that, that right now what we see, it probably is a toss-up between the two Brazilians. Whether he does that for reasons looking at the future, I'm not sure. I think against Wolves, assuming... Because there, there's nothing about John Joe's fitness... So I'm not sure, but just assuming everyone was fit, assuming everyone was fit, I think he might give Willock a rest because um, he hasn't seen the other lads together where where all the other combinations we've seen we've seen. Well, that'll do it for today, mate. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun uh, talking this through with you. We'll have a, a state of play at least one of these a month, every single month. Uh, we'll be back in April, so lots more come from True Faith and Patreon this week. Thanks for for your time, mate, Norman. Speak to everyone else very soon. Ta-da. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.